Well, there is a point, I've been to a lot of conferences, and there's a point in every conference where you start feeling it running over the top. I wonder where we're at. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but as we come and our hearts are stirred and we're hearing a lot of things, we're processing a lot of information, uh, it always gets to, at least in my experience, uh, to a point where, uh, well, we just go to another meeting and uh, because we can't quite process it all. So I, my prayer tonight is that, that tonight will be a season of refreshing, uh, that it will be something that, that uh, just perks up the ears of our heart and that uh, we're going to try to keep it simple. I'm going to really follow the narrative of the Bible tonight and keep it simple. And, uh, but my prayer most of all for my own heart and for yours is that God still speaks tonight and that we can hear what he has to say. So the, the topic tonight is uh, the title, very interesting title, No Hoof Left Behind. And as Brother Jaden sent that title to me, he had in parentheses something to the effect of the idea or the thought of no child left behind. No child left behind in Egypt. I want to tell you a, a story that happened to us. Uh, we, as many of you know, we live in New Mexico and we were under the oversight of the uh, Fairhaven District in Kansas for several years, for a couple years. And so we made regular travels up to Kansas uh, for various meetings and council meetings and things. And there was one particular trip that we were we're going up there and we stopped in Dalhart, Texas. Maybe you've been there. A nice uh, agricultural uh, Texas town, but it has some sketchy areas. And uh, we stopped at a filling station to use for a bathroom break and uh, all of us piled out of the van and we went into the, the uh, filling station and we, uh, Pretty soon we all started getting back in the van and pretty soon it looked like everybody was in the van and we took off down the street and about two or three or four blocks away, all of a sudden my wife says, oh, Connor's not in here. And I said, you have got to be kidding. We left him behind? And so we all did a quick, Connor, you, you under the seat? But he was indeed not in the van and so we began the process of getting turned around and weaving through the streets and waiting on these red lights. And, and there's just this urgency that comes over you. I was thinking about who all was in that filling station. Uh, you know, there's a lot of thoughts going through your mind as, as your very precious child under your care has been left behind. And we finally got back to that filling station and, and there he was and thankfully the kind-hearted attendant was there uh, outside and Connor was a good bit younger than he is today and, and uh, there was some tear stains on his, his face. Uh, and as he got in the van, he said he was terrified. 
because he had been left behind. I don't know if we can uh, connect with the reality of, of the tragedy of leaving one of our children behind. I'd like to start by just reading this chapter tonight in Exodus 10. It's a uh, couple, about uh, uh, a page and a half in my Bible, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it because it plunges us right into the center of this story, this narrative from the Bible about uh, the children of Israel and the time that the Lord was taking them out of Egypt. So let's, if you would turn your Bibles to Exodus 10, we'll just start by reading this chapter this evening. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And that thou mayest tell all in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Else if they refuse to let my people, thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locust into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses and the houses of all thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day which that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and he went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old and our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go. For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord so be with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now ye that are men, and serve the Lord. For for that ye did desire, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence." And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, even of all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land, 
all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. And before them were, and before them were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole ground so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. Just, just think about this a minute, what is happening here. And there remained not one locust in the coasts of Egypt. That's a miracle in itself. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward the heaven toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed, and let your little ones also shall go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. And here's the text phrase. There shall not be an hoof left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know what not what, with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, and take heed to thyself, and see my face no more. For in that day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face no more. So here we are, we've kind of parachuted into the middle of a quite a story, quite a, an account in the Bible. Tonight we'd like to just take a little journey through this account, and I'm going to, tonight, I'm going to diverge from the, from the uh, typological context of this scripture, as, as we know, the, uh, the the typology of coming out of Egypt is being saved from our sins, coming out of the world, being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the types across the desert there as they were uh, examples, uh, 
or foreshadows really of what Jesus Christ and how he brings us into himself out of the land of, of Egypt uh, through the water and through the cloud there as we read in 1 Corinthians 10. And, and we go on that experience and, and we're headed towards Canaan, the promised land. Tonight though, I want to just take and we're gonna diverge from that strict typological context and we simply want to draw some principles from Israel's journey here. And what we're thinking about tonight as dads and moms is we're thinking about the reality, and I just want to tonight, at least part of the night, think from the eyes of a child. Think about the, the context of, of what it might be like to be left behind and to hopefully as we come through this to gain some strength and insights and take some warnings that there will be no child left behind. No hoof, if you will, the whole, the whole of us are going. And the Lord will surely do this. First of all, I just want to say this is God's heart. God wants our children in Him. He wants to save us to the uttermost. He wants to take us out of Egypt with a high hand. So we jumped in here in the 10th chapter, and we jumped in here actually at about plague seven and eight out of nine. So what I want to do for a little bit is I want to go back and catch the first part of this account and just realize what was going on here. <clears throat> In the fifth chapter of Exodus, Pharaoh, as Moses came to him, you remember the story, Moses didn't want to go, he didn't feel qualified, uh, and, and uh, God said, who made your mouth? He said, I have chosen you for this, and you go, and I will put words in your mouth. And uh, this, is, this is my work, Moses. You go in there to Egypt, and you say what I want you to say. So in the fifth chapter, he finally goes into before Pharaoh, Moses, and Aaron. And the first response of uh, Pharaoh is he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? We have a very proud ruler that is in control. And he's, he's got the people of God under bondage. And he says, who is the Lord? Well, the first plague was that he turned the rivers to blood. And there's really no response that we can read from Pharaoh there. It's just that they had to, a very, I would think, if, I, I would think if the news centers today, if there was a, a city in, in somewhere in the world that the whole waters turned to blood, I mean, you can imagine that the news would just blow up. And they would be featuring all the problems of the streams and the drinking water and all of this. But there was really not that much response that we get from that we can read here from Pharaoh's court. So Moses and Aaron, they come back in to Pharaoh there and they say, um, if you don't let God's people go, 
there are going to be frogs that come into all of the camp of Israel. They're going to come into and just invade your borders, I think is the terminology. And uh, so, I mean, it was so fascinating to read through this that, that God, uh, it's kind of off topic here really in a way, but uh, God told Pharaoh almost every time exactly what was going to happen. Well, no response from Pharaoh, and so he, he won't let the people go, and so in come the frogs, and the frogs are everywhere. And after a few, a time there of dealing with the frogs everywhere, in the beds, in the, the food, and everything, uh, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron, and he says, a little different response here. He's not saying, who is this Lord? He says, entreat that Lord for me. Entreat that Lord for me that he may take away the frogs for me and my people and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses entreated the Lord and the frogs left. Actually they piled them up in piles and they stank. The whole land stank. Can you imagine that? Fairly significant drama going on in this, or this country. The next thing that happens is Moses comes in and he, he uh, says the Lord is going to, if you don't let the people go, uh, he's going to bring flies in here. Now we've got flies in southern New Mexico and they are a pain. We live not too terribly far from a dairy and when we got ready to move into the house that we're in now, it hadn't had people living in there and maybe it had some windows open or something, but literally the ceiling, it wasn't black, but it was almost black with flies. And these flies are just a problem. We go to great extent to try to keep the flies out of the house and under control. But I can't imagine flies like this. <clears throat> and the flies came and they pestered the people. And I'd like to switch now. Um, meant to do this earlier, I'd like to switch now to the eyes of a child, and I'd just like to imagine that you are a child in an Israelite home, and dad comes home from the labor, the work, and everyone gathers around at the supper table perhaps, and, and he tells the story of what happened today with Pharaoh. So tonight we are there at the table, and uh, dad gathers the family around and he says, well, Pharaoh called for Moses again today. And he says, um, I will let you go that you may sacrifice the Lord God in wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. And Moses said, uh, I will go out from you and entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh and from his servants. He's telling this to the children and, and that the children are there with wide eyes. And sure enough, the next day the wind starts blowing and all of the flies leave the coast of Israel. Well, Pharaoh hardens his heart again. The next thing we see is the flocks and herds get a sickness. But this time it's only Egypt's flocks and herds. And they 
get this sickness and they begin dying. It's the, it's the uh, cattle and the sheep, much of the livestock of, of the land. So I just imagine the children hearing this. Again, Mo, uh, Pharaoh entreats Moses and, and he sends, uh, he goes and entreats the Lord and, uh, and uh, well, I'm, I, maybe I got that wrong. I, don't, I think actually there's uh, three here. The fourth, fifth, and sixth, uh, there's boils on the people and the rest of the beast is the fifth one. And, uh, you know, up till now, a, a lot of these plagues, the magicians had been matching uh, with, with demonic miracles, but they couldn't even stand before Moses in this case. They, they just couldn't even stand before him because they had the boils on them. So the next thing that comes is this hail... The sixth one is this hail mingled with fire. So there's tremendous hail. And in that case, the Lord gave them a warning. Uh, this is so interesting to read through this again. As the Lord gave them a warning. And everybody that feared the Lord, it said, even of Pharaoh's servants, if they got their, servant, if they got their beasts out of the field and got inside, they, they didn't get hurt with the hail. But those who just had a, a bold and challenging spirit uh, the hail began to destroy and it just shredded the crops and not only that there was fire and it was running along the ground and uh, destroying and finally Pharaoh calls again in haste he says Moses come and he said to them I have sinned this time the Lord is righteous and all my people are wicked sounds pretty good doesn't it So he entreated him and he entreated the Lord and he took away the hail. And this is where we come back into this passage tonight. So as we think about what we read tonight and we think about the locusts there and we think about dad sitting at the supper table and uh, he's telling them all of, of what is being said. He's telling them that the requests of Pharaoh are changing in their nature and uh, you know, it's pretty fascinating to read here in this 10th chapter that Moses is getting pretty bold. And he comes in and he says, God says, how long will you refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go. That's very, very bold. Now we're going somewhere with this story. So hang with me here. You know, it's quite a thing to observe. And I saw a clip recently of, I think it was either Myanmar or uh, Iran or somewhere in the east. I'm not sure exactly where. And there was these riots all over the country. And it was very interesting to watch this, this clash as the people feel like they have been violated. So it's the people against the, the government. And yet you watch these clashes and there's, you, you know, they, 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 they run in and, and try to clash, but, but pretty soon if things get real bad, they're out of there. They're, they're running. And pretty soon the, the, the one side gets the upper hand and it runs. I was just thinking about what it would be like to be a child in Israel. And, and we knew it was bad. I mean, we knew it was bad when dad came home and he said, they took away our straw and we've still got to make up the same amount of bricks. But now this is really really insecure 
What's going to happen to us? What is happening? And yet they are seeing the mighty hand of God. They're not really sure just how this is all going to turn out. So the eighth plague, here comes the darkness. And as we read there, it was there for three days. Um, Tonight, Dad tells about how that uh, Pharaoh called for them after the three days, and and we can kind of see Moses picking his way through the dark and going over there to uh, Pharaoh's palace. And uh, Pharaoh says, well, you can take your children, but not your animals. And you know what, Pharaoh, you know what he said? You know what Moses said, children? Moses said that there's not going to be a hoof left behind. He said, we are not going until you let us go entirely. And I just think about the wave of security and courage that might come to a young child's heart as they think, wow, our leader. First of all, wow, our God. And this drama that we're in, but our leader is not going to leave without any of us. No one left behind. Plague number nine. The Lord says, I want you to go get their jewels. He says, I want you to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. And so we get that picture tonight as there's daddy again. And this time tonight he has a a branch of hyssop and he's dipping it in the pan of blood and splat, 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 splat all over the the, uh, door frame there. And the children are saying, I can just hear the questions, can't you? What are you doing, daddy? What's going to happen now? Splat, 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 sprinkling the blood kind of sprays out on them. Daddy says, well, tonight, children, there's going to be a great deliverance and no one's going to be left behind. So they eat the Passover lamb and pretty soon the word comes and off they go. And can you imagine the excitement? We ate this with our shoes on and God gave the word. God's leading us out with a mighty hand. And off we go. And we join our friends in the streets. And off we go. And we're going out to to Canaan. We're, 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 We're being delivered. I want to just pause here and get some lessons. Lessons from the deliverance here in this first point tonight. As we apply it to our lives. Number one, Egypt wants your children. But what they really want is to profit from them. Just like Pharaoh, they don't have any need for your children. They want to profit them and it's because Egypt is the camp of the enemy. It's the camp of the the devil. And what he really wants is to keep them away from the way of righteousness. They're disposable to him. He has no love for them. Just like Pharaoh didn't. He just lamenting the tale of the bricks. Dads, tonight, 
I may be a little bit hard on us because I really think this falls down as the, as the, the heart of this message, at least in my heart, is there's just a lot of responsibility and, uh, and moms too, but, but especially us dads. The second lesson I want to li- li- uh, learn from the deliverance tonight is that Egypt is willing to bargain for your children. And there we see Pharaoh, and first of all, he goes from, who is this God, to, well, entreat the Lord to me, for me. And then he says, well, I've messed up. And finally he says, how about we deal here? Let's make some deals. About who gets to go. Third lesson I want to draw tonight is leaders leading in the name of God on the journey of God are totally in their place to exercise holy boldness in the matter of all of my children are going. Don't let anybody take it from you. It's a precious place to stand and it's the power of God. And just like Moses there, exercising in the authority and power of God, we have the right, we have the holy responsibility to stand up in holy boldness. And I just want to ask us tonight, we'll look at this just a little later in the message, but do, have, am I allowing the process of life to eat away at a holy boldness in what I know God stands for in leadership in my home? <clears throat> holy boldness defines the battle. It focuses on the word and the power and the security of our God. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later. The fourth and last point here from the lesson of deliverance, lesson from the deliverance, is a question for you. Can you point to a trail of deliverances in your life? Brother Troy this afternoon in in his messages uh, condensed all of this down to three points. And I just think they are so potent, they're, they're definitely where the battle is in my life. But he had three points as us men remember. Deliverance from my selfishness. Selfishness was the first point. The second one was the snares of, of tech, which is a very real battle in our day that's blurring the lines between light and darkness and then deliverance from the snares of morality. And brothers... And sisters, is our God not strong enough? Is this battle not His? Are we willing to stand there like Moses? To, to, to in the power of God's commission, in the power of His plan, are we uh, willing to stand there and say, no one will be left behind. We're all going. And I will rely upon the Lord and I will... I will rely on him. I will believe in him until I have deliverance in my life. So that was stage one. I I want to talk about stage two here, what I'm going to call the second deliverance. Let's just keep on going in the story here tonight a little bit. Stage two, the second deliverance. Though they got out to the desert, the Holy Spirit is leading them by day in the cloud. He's being their nightlight, a light nightlight of fire by night. Pretty soon, they're out there a few days in the wilderness, and someone cries out, Here they come! 
and the dread army of Egypt is on the way. They are thundering after them. It looks like they must be angry. They have a passion. They're coming to get us. I thought no one was going to be left behind. And we can just sense the panic. You know what they did? Two things that I picked up there, and you can read it. We don't have time to read all this verbatim tonight. The first thing that, the, that happened was there was sarcasm, verbal attack, and, and finger pointing. They said, you know what? There are, are, were there no graves in Egypt, Moses? You're bringing us out here to die like this? The second thing they did was they second-guessed their commitment because of fear. And they said, we would have rather served them back there than die out here. So the tables turn, Moses gathers the people and says, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. He stretches his hand across the Red Sea. In no time at all, the families are, are hurrying. It says they walked across. I think some of them were kind of jogging maybe. I would have been. But the land is dry, a miracle, right in the middle of the sea. They go through. There is urgency, there is excitement, and yes, there is the cloud. The Holy Spirit is with us. Everyone gets across. Moses stretches out his hand again. And we all watch in wonder. We watch in wonder as suddenly mud puddles develop. The, the, the chariots are bogging down. The wheels are coming off. And all of a sudden, here comes the water. And they are drowned. And we look at each other. And we look around and we say, we're all here. No one has been left behind. We're all here. And songs break out. Lessons from the second deliverance. Have you ever been there when things get tough and we start pointing fingers? There's a lesson for me from this tonight. Dads, own the problem. Own the problem. Le true leaders make the issues of their leadership their own. They accept the blame and then they turn the focus to where are we going because of what we're hanging on or leaning on. And in this case, it's the very word and leadership and power and presence of the, the God of the universe. We cannot fail if we're hanging on that. Secondly, we all go, or I should say, we go through the dark night of the soul sometimes in our life and we start wiggling on our commitment. Now I want to break this down in two pieces. I'm not saying you turn away from God and say, I wish I could go back to Egypt to the taskmasters. But this is my experience. First of all, I just want to say, if, if we haven't had, if you haven't had a dark night of the soul, it, it, it's very likely, if you live very long, that God will give you one. Because that's how God makes men. But it's a tricky, this is a tricky one because how will we respond? And maybe it's not to that extent of wanting those taskmasters, but we begin to compromise. We begin to wiggle on our commitment. A lesson tonight, let's not do that. And the third lesson I want to take from the second deliverance is that my unconditional faith and rest in the Lord will help avoid Egypt relapse in my home. 
We're going to learn a little bit more about faith here in a little bit. But you know what? This actually paves the way into our third stage tonight. And I'm going to call stage three the double-headed monster. So now we're going to continue on the journey. We were out in the open desert and suddenly we get thirsty. <clears throat> and there's no water. And we start crying out to Moses. I'm not going to go through all of this in deep detail because there's just a lot here to cover. And I'm not even going to cover all of the issues that they had out there in the, in the desert. But I want to cover about... Uh, Five of them, it looks like. So we get thirsty. I'm going to liken this to the inability to trust God for urgent issues. The inability for me to trust God, His provision for urgent, short-range issues. The other thing we saw, see is that they get hungry. And that's when they started saying, we want leeks and we want garlics. We kind of want, we, we remember some things back there from Egypt. This hasn't been very long, really. I'm going to label this one, the inability to trust God for intermediate needs. We know that we have flocks and herds here. We probably wouldn't die overnight if we don't have food. But So God sends in the manna. And then he sends in the quail. The next thing we see is we want those leeks and garlics. I just want to make this point out of this. We're thinking more about personal pleasure and comfort than God's plan and my role as a dad or a mom in it. The next one I wrote down was the Korah, Dathan, and Abiram movement. We buy into various forms of rebellion against God's established authority. And mark my words, if we buy into rebellion on any level, we're eating out of the wrong pot and it will not be blessed of the Lord. We can see that we've got a double-headed monster on our hands. Let's keep going. With all the evidence, the next point, with all the leading and all the protection, with all the miracles and promise, we get to the land of promise we send in the spies and they come back and we said, no, we can't go. There's giants in the land. And all this time, the children are watching. <clears throat> the lesson I'd like to learn from this one is dads, when we, we fail to grasp the powerful vision of God's mighty hand and to jump into his plan with both feet and we have a form of unbelief and God hates it he's done so much for us he has paved the way he, he, he has a plan and the plan is no one left behind the plan is trees of righteousness springing up all over my kingdom that raise up in varying levels and they begin to bear fruit he has a plan that his kingdom will rule the world and be under the mighty, righteous hand of God. And that involves you and I and our children. So what is the second head on this monster? 
that is after our children. It is simply my carnality and unwillingness to run valiantly in the call of the Lord. It comes in many forms, and I'm not going to go through very many of them tonight. We can make the comparisons of what we just talked about. There's one more I want to to talk about, and that is ideologies that pride, that we pride ourselves in, in and being spiritual while practical trajectory is eating us alive. And we can look back at Israel, we can look back at that and say, what were you thinking? And yet when it comes to my own life, somehow when I'm in the heat of the battle, I don't always see it. I just want to call us as dads and moms tonight to step up. To step up to the to the glory and the power of God's plan and his provision for what he wants to do that none of our children will be left behind. You know, I don't think any of those dads had any idea that they would be the ones who actually left one of their children or left their children behind. And it happened in a totally different way. But you know, that was a sad day as they came up there and they rejected the the two spies, they accepted the counsel of the ten, and they said, God said, you know what, you're going to wander out here in the wilderness, and none of you that were in unbelief are going to go in, but your children will go in. Praise the, praise the Lord, he took the children in. But my burden tonight in this message is dads and moms, what can we do? Can we, can we encourage each other to step up to the plate? that I won't get taken advantage of by the double-headed monster. Maybe we bring, maybe we, we, maybe we and I believe we do. I, I see in our churches, I see the Spirit working and calling. We see baptisms. We see young, fervent men and women of God. Praise the Lord. That's what we want. We know the Spirit is working. We know that the Word is being preached. We understand salvation. But the concern I have in my own heart and life is will the second larger head of the double-headed monster be the thing that causes one of my children or more than one of my children to be left behind? I just have one more point here, and it's just simply labeled this, being families committed to no one left behind. Do you think it's too idealistic to step up to what God is calling us to? I don't. I'd like to just call you to be enthused about the potential, about the opportunity, about the privilege of being a dad or a mom in the work of the Lord. Just going to mention, I have six points here and I'll be finished this evening. You know, we've been hearing a lot of powerful things about keeping the hearts of our children. And that is, let's cling to that, brothers and sisters. These these messages about keeping the hearts of our children. 
And I, I, as I said, I think there is a, I see a lot of good things happening uh, in, in the work of the Lord. But I just want to mention something that a brother told me one time. I was on the phone with a, with a brother. Um, we don't talk a lot anymore, but we used to more. Um, and he was just kind of reflecting about the condition of their congregation. This was years ago. And he said, you know, the thing that burdens my heart is he said, we kind of have a situation in our youth group and, and a situation with the dads. And, and he said, I, I can't completely get my finger on it, but he says, things have gotten to the point where some boys, it looks like, that they look over there at what dad has and they say, I don't know what you have, dad, but whatever it is, I don't want it. Now, I don't think we are there necessarily. I, I guess I can't speak for everyone tonight. But when I look at something like that, it just, it just puts passion in my heart. And, and this is why these messages from, from Brother Sam and Brother Troy are so important about, the, about connecting with the heart of our children because we want the opposite to be true as we go through church life and whatever that means that our children will be in this place where they know that we are being led by the God of heaven and that they are on a trajectory and they are taking this for themselves and they will not be left behind. Second point here I want to make I want to talk a little bit about the power of passion and boldness. I don't hardly know how to talk about this, and so bear with me a minute. <clears throat> you know, we, we come here this weekend really probably with as many needs of in, as any of you. We're just parents trying to do what's right and looking back and seeing that we haven't done it all right. But I, I also look back, and I just want to share this with you by way of encouragement. There was a time early in our marriage, very early in our marriage, where Amy and I just focused in on something we wanted for our children. I'll give you an example. I was sitting behind uh, a brother at Middle Fork, Indiana one, one Sunday. And his little children were about three and two, I'm going to guess. Three-year-old boy, two-year-old girl. And as they sat there on the bench beside their daddy, and I sat, sat there behind them, and, and, and we didn't have children yet. And I looked at them, or maybe we had an infant that was with Amy, I don't, I don't remember. But the little boy, he was so kind to his sister and he reached over and, and helped her and sh she was so kind to him and they were just friends at two and three years of age. And then pretty soon dad looked down and he smiled at them and they smiled at him and it was just this picture of contentment, of security, of godliness. And I said, I want my children to be best friends. 
I want my children to love the Lord and to grow up in that way, loving each other and, and, and on a way that is after God's heart. And there were many other things that came in that time that were just passions of heart. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't been there as a dad, just do it. Just step up into that place and make passionate commitments about the vision you have for your family. The, the end goal that you want to target, where you want to be, and where you, what you want them to grow up as. And I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit in the third point as well, but the thing I want from this is passionate focus that's based on the Word of God and bold. Satan hates that thing. I, there is nothing that will make Satan flee more rapidly than holy boldness on the authority of God's Word. And what he does often is tricks us into muting that down and not, not just being clear and bold and, and, and actually grasping what the Lord has. Moses dis displayed that, we see, and it was a blessing to the children of Israel. <clears throat> Third thing I want to mention is what I'm going to call the power of little choices. And as we look back, there's been seasons of our life where we've, the Lord has given us success in this area. There's also been seasons, way too many seasons, where it worked against us. But there's something about a, a dad with a heart of passion, a focus, something that is consuming his mind and his heart, not in pride, but in humility, but in holy boldness. And what happens is we're leaning the way, the, 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 a certain direction. And so when we come to these little forks in the road, we, we always bear to the right, I'm going to say. We always bear right in this, in this little fork of the road. And after a while, these little choices build up and they, make, they, they start bearing fruit. I told one brother, it was like, it's, it's like mustard seeds. You just plant these little things and pretty soon good things are growing. And, and, and several years later, as this tree gets big and the fruit starts coming, you're like, whoa, Lord, look at what you're doing that's way beyond anything I taught. And it's him. But it all happened back there in those little choices. And I'm talking about, I'm talk, this is amazing. But if I look back, if there's one thing I lament, it's not making more of those little choices. I'm talking about 30-second choices. Like, drop down on the floor and play tractor just 30 seconds on the way out the door and at a certain stage of life that is huge I'm talking about three minute talks at the right times and connections and focus leaning 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 on what we want and I'm just so amazed at the power of the, the uh, compounding power of those little choices <clears throat> three more and we'll be finished here tonight number four avoid avoiding the task oriented parenting temptation now as we 
go back to the idea of the soul room and the role room that we talked a little bit about last night. We understand that that, but being in the soul room does not in any way take away from us being very role oriented. We have roles. But what happens is when we've been with the Lord, he anoints us in a way that we go about our roles in a very different manner. Well, I just love this perspective. You know, even as a little baby, I am growing a disciple of Jesus Christ. And everything I am about in this relationship, and as this child grows, and he becomes a toddler and, and on up and a, and a teenager. And, and everything in this relationship is about him becoming or her becoming a man or woman of God. Even from the very beginning. So it's like a privilege. We're, 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 we have our eye on the, on the man of God and, and we're, we're growing each little stage of that relationship. And it just, take, it just is completely takes us away from this role-oriented parenting like, oh, God gave us children, I guess here we are, Stay, let's see, what's the book say? Uh, yeah, yeah, age five. Yeah, this is what happens at age five. And instead we have a vision for growing up men and women of God. It makes all the difference. Number five I wrote down under being families committed to no one left behind is avoiding the five-year fog. I'm just calling it that. <clears throat> you know, five years is kind of a long time really but it's not really we have been in New Mexico about six and a half years seems like longer than that but there's just a lot of changes as we look back in five years the ages of our children the things that we were doing and, and it's just subtle but what can happen is that we get in this zone where we're just sort of in this church we're just sort of with these people we just sort of do these things and we're in sort of this five-year give or take fog. You know, remember back about two years and, four, and we're thinking forward maybe two, three years or maybe not, maybe just a three-year fog. I just want to challenge us tonight. Go, if you care to do this homework, go back to your cabin and write down the ages of your children in 30 years. Or 50 years even. Now, let's do the math backwards. What are they going to be at age 35? What are they going to be age at 25? 15. And when we have a long-range vision, it helps us think very differently. And it helps us avoid this thing of just sort of being in a fog and, and getting, uh, and this has happened to us, different times in our life where we all of a sudden we're like, how do we get here? I mean, the children are just growing up. It's just happening. The last point is probably the most exciting point to me. And I just want to share this with you in the way of encouragement. The way of the Lord is a way of excitement. God has good things planned for his people. This is a journey of enthusiasm that we can be enthused about. It is a way of excitement. The Bible says it puts health in our bone marrow and it gives us a bright countenance. 
And I don't care what we come up against, dads and moms, in this battle of life, whatever we're facing or wrestling with, it's worth it. Let's allow the enthusiasm of the salvation of the Lord, the, the excitement of Canaan to be ours. Remember Caleb, remember Joshua, as they stood there on the brink, and I think they were just itching to go to battle with these giants and watch what God would do. Remember Joshua or Caleb, I guess it was, years later, 70-year man, he said, give, give me the mountain. I'll, sh I'll show you what God will do through a man of faith. I don't think he was doing that in pride. I think he was passionate about God's ways getting done. And I just want to encourage us tonight as dads and moms to step up to that task and realize that God is with us. He doesn't want anyone left behind. God bless you.